I believe we are all hardwired to be creative. And the thing that makes us uniquely human is our creativity. Welcome to The Spark with Coco the Inspirationist. Join me for conversations with inspiring humans tapped into their creativity and solo chats as I get to know my own. Whether you're looking to spark inspiration, reconnect with your inner creative, or you're just starting to get to know your creative self, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Spark. Hi, buddy. Welcome back to The Spark. I'm Coco. If you're new here, welcome. This is a safe place for you to pour into your creative self and honor her because she's in there, right? Summer is here and so are my kiddos. And in the stretching and reaching for a less perfectionist perspective, I am just letting it be easy. And so you guys might hear noises or kids or, you know, running around in the background. And I'm just going to let that be okay. My need to have this podcast be so polished and so perfect is fading away and I can feel it. And in the most beautiful way possible, though, like I hope you still feel that there is intentionality and effort and even artistry in trying to design these podcasts for you. Um, But, you know, one of the ways that I am letting go is worrying so hard about background noise because I'm building this alongside growing a family. So that being said, today on the podcast, okay, you guys, I have waited a long while to share this with you. We recorded back, I don't know, in April, but today's the day. You get to meet Kyle Sheely. And when I was first introduced to Kyle, there's just something about him that interests me, that attracted me to him. He is a multi-passionate, whether or not he claims that word for himself or not. He is. He's a cardboard artist. He's a writer. He's a motivational speaker. He has the most beautiful relationship with his ideas. And I'm so excited for you guys to jump into this episode because him and I go back and forth on ideas and creativity. And he has so many amazing stories to tell about the projects that he that he created. And let me tell you, his magic lies in the fact that he can take an idea so much further than anybody would ever expect. So I hope you enjoy this episode. This conversation was so thrilling and important to me because I was so nervous to ask him and he was so kind and so generous. And I know that this was my best episode yet. So I'm just going to tee it up there. I hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed being part of it. I felt so validated and seen for my creativity and my endless ideas. And I hope you enjoy being a fly on the wall for our conversation. That's what I want for you for this podcast for these interviews. They're not interviews as much as they're conversations. So you might hear anecdotes that I've talked about in the past, but these are people that I'm 
getting to know in real time, and I'm so excited to have you be part of that journey. So without further ado, I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Kyle Sheely. Let's dive in. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you for saying yes to this. Um, I was actually, you've been kind of like in my world for a while now. And I was just, before you came on, I was just thinking about how I say things to my husband all the time. And I can't wait to dive in about having a partner, being a, a, a partner to somebody like us, where we have lots, I can assume you have lots of ideas. And yeah. um Anyways, I'm always just like telling him all these ideas. And finally, the other day, while it was during your pizza party for the book, which we will talk about, and I looked at him and he, it was like, we were like squished between our kids in bed. Both of our kids were actually sleeping. Um, They couldn't make it to the end and they fell asleep and we were just watching you talk. And I look at him and I just go he's coming on the podcast. Like I'm, at, and I'm absolutely asking him. I've, I had mentioned it to him a couple of times and I just could see it in my husband's eyes where he was like, Oh, I get it now. I get it. And so he's been like super hype for me about this uh, interview. I can tell that you're, you and I are similar in the way that we're multi-passionates. Do you resonate with that? Yeah, totally. I would love for you to actually introduce yourself and explain what you do, because um, I think you could do it best. I, I'm looking forward to hearing how you describe yourself because it's interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So whenever somebody asks me, like if I meet somebody on an airplane or something and they, and they're like, so what do you do? My answer is always like, how much time do you have? Like, <laughs> because I feel like I do so many different things and you know, if you're asking what I do for a living, even that has gotten complicated. For the longest time, it was like, I'm, I'm a motivational speaker. And I kind of even hate that terminology because what people think of when they think of a motivational speaker is probably not what I do. But I, you know, I've spent 11 years traveling around as a speaker. But then in the meantime, I've been doing all these different side projects um, that it took me a long time to identify with this term, but artist would probably be the most appropriate thing for that. And then now I've got a book that just came out, a kid's book. And then I have like a nonfiction adult book coming out. Um, So author, you know, so it's, it's none of those things really sums up what I do. Um, And you kind of have to know all of them to kind of get something of a rounded picture of who I am. But uh, yeah, so artist, author, speaker is what my email signature says. And I feel like that probably sums up about like 60 to 70% of, of what I do. <laughs> and, but it's really kind of one of those things where you're like, oh, you like probably the easiest thing to do is just follow me on social media and you kind of get an idea of like, oh, this guy's kind of all over the place. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. Sure. Or not. Yeah, no, all over the place in, in the best possible way. Um, <laughs> I've really learned to identify as a multi-passionate creative because like you, I find it hard to stick with one thing. Um, I grew up having a great aunt that was a a prolific watercolor artist and by no fault of anybody in my family, I got the programming that like you do one thing, you do it really well and you do it over and over and over again until you die. And I like, I didn't realize that was there until I really started unpacking it over the last couple of years. And it was really, um, 
helpful for me to just realize like, no, you don't have to pick one thing. Like I didn't go to art school. Um, but now I'm like a full on artist, completely self-taught. And I think it's liberating to just like in 2017, the first day of 2017, I was just so annoyed by not being able to explain what I did to people, what I do to people. And so I just decided to call myself an artist as my new year's resolution. I was also a stay at home mom at the time. So it was kind of like these, these competing, like I'm a stay at home mom, but I'm, I'm more than that because I'm always yeah. making, you know? So I just decided on the first day of 2017, I was like, I'm just going to start calling myself an artist and just like, let it sit there. And no matter how uncomfortable that makes me, um, and like spoiler alert, nobody cared. Everybody I was, was going like, to ask that. I was going to say, did not, like I'm, my prediction was that nobody cared because yes. I have a very, so, so I just, this is all in my head because I'm, I just finished writing this book that comes out in February. That's um, about this big art project that I did. And, and the, the project was about letting go of the past and, and people would send me stuff that they wanted to let go of. And I ended up realizing like these things kind of fell into basically five different categories. And one of those categories was identity and people saying like, I, I used to identify as this and now I, I don't want to identify as that anymore. And, and that, that, you know, I think, when people hear that, they tend to think of like, oh, gender and sexuality. And that came up, but that's not even like really what I was talking about. Like so many people said, you know, kind of what you said, like I'm a stay at home mom, but I want to be, I I don't want to just think of myself as that. Or I've had this career for a long time and that defined who I am. And I kind of don't jive with that anymore. Now I want to, you know, let go of that and do something else. And so I, I wrote about in the book, my own experience with the term artist. And I, for the longest time, I know you, you, you know, know Andy Miller, the, um, the illustrator of my book or follow him. And so he and I have had this like years running debate about whether or not I'm an artist. And he would always just, he was always like, you're an artist. And I would always go, no, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't identify with that term. Like, I don't really, you know, think that I qualify for that term or whatever. And he would give me such a hard time about it. And finally, one day he was just like, why do you not think you're an artist? And I, I couldn't think of anything. I was like, I guess it's because I can't draw realistic people. And Andy started laughing really really hard because Andy is a full-time artist and illustrator and he's done stuff for the New York times. And, you know, you know, every bit like YouTube and Google and Facebook and, you know, all these huge campaigns. And he was like, bro, I can't draw realistic people either. (laughs) And that was kind of like the one moment that shattered it for me where I was like, Oh, I guess like, and he pointed out too, he's like, he said, I think that you think that the taking on the term artist is egotistical because you're, you're saying that like, you think that that makes you say I'm a good artist. He's like, but that's not true. Like there are bad artists. It's like, you can, you can just say I'm an artist. Like you're not saying I'm, I'm particularly good at it. And the thing that he helped me see was that being an artist is not about um, it's not about skill or talent. It's about like the way that you see the world mm-hmm. and, and how you view things. And once I got that, once I like accepted that, I realized like, oh, I am and have always been an artist. Like this has always been like the way that I see the world has always been different than, than a lot of the other people around me. And that's not something that I realized. It was something that I kind of thought, oh, everyone is like this. And then other people would be like, bro, nobody thinks like this. Like, no, like what, where did you come up with this idea? And I would go, it's so obvious, like this and this. And they were like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so that term. And then as soon as I did the same exact thing, I was like, 
okay, I'm going to put it in my bio or whatever. I'm going to start calling me that. And like, nobody even noticed. And the one or two people that noticed were people I had had conversations with about it. And they would go like, oh man, that's awesome. Like, and that was the end of it. And then, and in fact, I have this, uh, when I did, I did this big Viking ship project, which is what that book is about. And when I burned it at the end, it was in the paper and they just, the, it's like, this is the most like to the point, uh, uh, headline of all time. It just says artist makes cardboard Viking ship and burns it. <laughs> and, uh, and my friends were like, Hey, they called you an artist. And I was like, all right. So <laughs> it's official. So, yeah. It's a, it's been in the, in the newspaper now. You, they can't take it back. So yeah. that, that's such a funny journey. That's so interesting. There's like seven things I want to say coming through at the same time, but it's interesting that Andy kind of cracked you open when it came to artists because he did that for me. Um, you know, not personally, we didn't have a conversation about it, but I got stuck. I like to call myself a recovering perfectionist. And it was his work that really like reminded me that my work doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be mine. Yeah. Right. Like looking at his work, like it's perfectly him, but like he uses crayons and, you know, like it, yeah. And I just like to remind myself about that. I don't know. There's something about his work that obviously it's so joyful and wonderful, but the imperfectness of it is like what soothes me. And I, yeah. and, and that's what helped me kind of grow into this identity. Um, yeah. Could you rewind and tell my listeners about the Viking ship? Cause that was incredible. And I think it's a great little anecdote. Yeah. So there's, in order to tell you about the second Viking ship, I have to tell you about the first Viking ship. So when I, when I turned 30, I just turned 35 a couple of days ago. And when I turned 30, um, I, as a joke, uh, I decided to have a Viking funeral for my twenties instead of having a birthday party. And it really just came from like my, my mom, my mom was talking to me and she was like, Hey, you're going to have a birthday party, you know, to celebrate, you know, this the big three Oh. And, and I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to have a funeral to mourn the death of my twenties. And, and then she was like, uh, that's weird and creepy. And, and then I was like, well, how about a Viking funeral? And so, and she, and she had said like, you could have a bonfire at our, they have some land out in the country. And she was like, if you want to have people over, you know, to our house instead of at your house, like, you know, you can do that. And so, I was like, well, what if, a, what if the bonfire is a Viking ship and I build it and set it on fire? And I had this idea like three weeks before my birthday. And, you know, what a normal person would have done is built like a, something the size of a mailbox or something, you know, mm -hmm. just a little arts and crafts project. But I ended up basically taking two weeks off of work and I work for myself, but not really doing what I should have been doing during that time. And instead, I built this Viking ship that was eight feet tall and 16 feet long. And it was built out of cardboard and it had, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of like individually cut dragon scales on it and very detailed and ornate. And then I built these big letters and numbers that said my 20s that sat inside the ship. And then I had a bunch of my friends over and we shot Roman candles at it and set it on fire for my birthday. And uh, it started as a joke, but when you work on something for, you know, two weeks, like around the clock and by the end of it, it was literally around the clock. Like the last several nights I got like four hours of sleep. And then the next night I got three hours of sleep. And the next night I got like, two hours of sleep and the night of before the burning, I got one hour of sleep. And that was only because my wife came out and was like, you have to go to bed. And so, um, but when you're, you know, in it for that long, 
like you start thinking about it quite a bit. And, and I realized like, oh, you know what? This started as a joke, but it's kind of a good idea to think about like, well, what do I want to leave in my 20s? And what do I want to take into my 30s? And, and so my friends made a video about it. They interviewed me in, and in that video, I said something about that. Like you have to leave the past behind in order to kind of create room for the future. And that idea seemed to resonate with a lot of people. And I started getting you know emails and messages from people who had seen the video and comments and stuff. And they would all kind of say the same thing, which is weird. And they would say like, hey, I saw your weird, you know, Viking funeral birthday party. And it it was weird, but it inspired me in some way, I, you know, to let go of some of my own stuff. And then they'd all kind of end by saying like, oh, I just, I wish I could do it with a cool Viking funeral like you did. And so, you know, I got one of those emails and I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. And then I got two or three of them and I was like, oh, that's interesting. They're all saying the same thing. And then they just like kept coming. And so finally I was like, well, I guess I'll do like, why don't we do it again? And this time, like I'll build the Viking ship and anyone can send me anything they want to let go of. And, you know, from their past and I will put that in the ship and we'll set it on fire. And so, um, it, it, we ended up getting, I thought it was going to take a year. It took two and a half years and, and it was just, I got kicked out of two different warehouses, not never for anything I did. It was just sort of like, I was month to month and they found somebody who was willing to pay more money than, you know, a starving artist working with cardboard. And so it was just constantly like, like I, I basically described the whole journey as like two steps forward, one and three quarter steps back and over and over and over again. Um, but eventually after two and a half years uh, on this one year project, I collected 21,000, I think it was 21,089 regrets um, in like four different languages from people all over the place. And in December of 2019, uh, we set the whole thing on fire and, and did, you know, this big Viking send off for the, the, we call it the people that we used to be, you know, sort of like you have to let go of the person that you used to be in order to become the person that you're meant to be. So I love that. And also, don't you have a friend that did the lettering piece on it too? Yeah. Bob Ewing. He's amazing. He's like super duper talented lettering artist. I never thought I could, we didn't really know each other that well. Like Andy knew him and we were kind of just like connected or whatever. Um, but I had never met him and I just reached out and, and I was like, Hey, we have some mutual friends and I don't have like a crazy budget for this, but so feel free to say no. And he was kind of just like, man, this project sounds amazing. I want to be a part of it. And so he did, he did this lettering piece in the middle that said the people we used to be. And it was cool because it had to be like, it had to, I wanted it to look cool, but it also had to be structurally sound because I was building it out of cardboard and it, it like that lettering piece, I think was like 10 feet tall. And so it, you know, it was, it was this massive thing and it had to all connect and he, he just did a great job with it. And, and it, it was like the, the icing on the cake and that came together like in the last, like he had sent me the lettering, but I didn't make it to maybe the last week, week and a half, something like that. And so it was like, it, it was definitely like the cherry on top of the whole thing. That's insane. So tell us how big the second one it was. Oh yeah. So the second one was 16 feet tall and 30 feet long and it had to be built. I had to build it in three different sections and like we had to put it on a trailer to take it to the site. I mean, it was a, it was a whole thing. The first one I was eight feet tall and 16 feet long. It was also built in sections, but like I, I took it to the site, like in a van, like a big panel van that my my buddy works you know, like blue collar job and he borrowed it and from his work and drove it there. But the second one, we had to rent a trailer. It was, it was like very nerve wracking because we were driving. Like when we loaded it onto the trailer, I realized like 
in two and a half years, I had never done the simple job of like measuring how wide a lane of traffic is. And so we're loading this on and it's hanging off both sides of the trailer. And I'm like, oh no, like someone's going to hit this. And then we were driving, like we had to drive really slow because I didn't want it to like blow apart. And we're driving on these back roads that are just two lanes, very narrow. And there'd be like a tractor pulling some huge farm implement coming the other way. It was very nerve wracking, but we ended up getting it there on time and, and it all came together. But yeah, it was that was the biggest thing I've ever built and probably will ever build. It was uh, just absolutely insane. Yeah. I can, it, it blows my mind, like how you can take an idea and just like really walk towards the biggest version of it. It's like, <laughs> that's, that's kind of Andy, my friends, Andy and, and my friend, Jesse, that like, they pointed out that like, like my sort of secret sauce, the thing that makes me unique, I guess, is that I am a person who will like take an idea as like just way farther than a regular person would take it. That's mainly like the thing that sets me apart is like plenty of people have crazy ideas, but for whatever reason, I generally just don't have the ability to let go of an idea <laughs> until I've done it. And so like, it's funny because with, with the first Viking ship, like that was this idea. And that at the time was the, like when that one was, you know, eight feet tall and 16 feet long, it wouldn't fit in our garage. I mean, it was a big thing. And when I had that, that idea, I pitched it to my wife and, and she was like, why are you telling me about this? And I was like, well, cause I want you to, you know, sign off on it. And she was like, she laughed at me and she was like, I, that's really sweet that you think that that's true. She's like, but I, I have known you long enough to know like when you're just going to do something anyways. And she was like, this is an idea that like, you're going to do it either way. And I was kind of like offended. I was like, no, babe, if you tell me not to do this, I won't do it. And she was like, I know that you think that that's true. <laughs> She's like, but what will really happen is you'll keep like not so subtly bringing it up. And then eventually I'll just, she's like, I'll just fold now. So, so like that kind of thing, like, like other people in my life recognize that about me way before I do um, that like, they'll go, Oh yeah, this is an idea. He's going to do it. Like, and I'll be like, I don't know. I'm kind of toying around with it. And then two weeks later, I'm still toying around with it. And so finally I'm like, okay, I, I have to do this thing now. Oh, that's so cool. So on the idea of ideas, let's shift into um, a pizza with everything on it because during the pizza party you had, you said that the idea came to you like years ago. So tell me about the journey, how long it took. Like the, the whole first season of this podcast is all about surrendering. And you should have seen my husband's eyes when you were talking about the journey. And I look at him and I'm like, he's going to be on the podcast. He's going to tell them about this. So <laughs> do the thing, like tell them about Yeah. That. So, I mean, to, to step back even a, a step beyond that or before that, when you're talking about talking about ideas, like I, I have like a longstanding practice of just writing down any idea that strikes me as being in any way interesting or actionable at all. Like I kind of, and, and I want to write a kid's book about this someday. Um, and, and like, I, 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 it's hard to talk about this without sounding very like woo woo and, and, out there Here for it. and I don't I don't even believe this to be true this is just like the the way of talking about this that makes the most sense is to personify ideas and so like I I don't believe that ideas have desires but the way that it feels is that like some ideas just pop in your head and all they like every idea wants attention every idea when, for me at least when I have an idea 
I like, can't, I'm like, this is the best idea ever. And whenever people ask me like, which of your projects is the, you know, your favorite, I'm always like, it's the one that I'm about to do yeah, or the one that I'm working on right now. All the other ones are dead to me. Yes. Like this is the, like, this is the best thing in the world. And so every idea feels like that. And so what I like, what I had to do is figure out like, how do I sort, like every idea tells you it's the best idea. How do I know? And so I just started writing down every idea that I had. And, I mean, years and years and years ago, I have like, I have a drawer behind me that's literally just full of like notebooks from years and years. This is like 5% of what's in, I mean, there's just so many notebooks and I have a notebook in my pocket right now. I have spare notebooks in this drawer. Like I'm never without, and then I have Evernote and you know, I've got computer systems for keeping track of ideas. And so anyways, I, I feel like some ideas want to just be noticed and you write them down and then you never think about them again. And you'll go back through notebooks years later and you're like, Oh, that was funny. And you've haven't thought about it since other ideas want you to like talk about them. And so I'll have an idea and I'll be thinking about it. And then I'll like, you know, a couple days later, that idea comes back into my head and I'll mention it to a friend and then you talk about it. And then it's kind of like that idea is over. And that idea is like, thanks, you know, this is my stop. I'll get off here. And then other ideas just like, won't leave you alone. And they keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. And so I had this idea six years ago. I went back and tracked down like when I wrote it down. It was six years ago. I had an idea for a, a children's book called The Pizza with Everything on it. And the background is like, I wanted to be a kid's book author like a dozen years ago and gave up on that dream because I just, everything I read was so discouraging of people saying like, yeah, good luck. Everyone wants to be a kid's book author and it's, you know, cutthroat and you'll never get an agent. You'll never get a deal. And so I was just like, okay, I guess like, I guess that's an unrealistic dream. I will, I will give up on that. And so anyways, six years ago then, after laying that dream to rest and pursuing the speaking career for a long time, um, I had this idea and I was like, oh, like my, my friend Scott calls me a hyper literalist. And he says that like, I take everything way too literally. And, and that most of, most of my jokes are about that. Like they're based on some like wordsmith thing of me looking at words too literally. And so I had this idea, like I had heard the phrase of pizza with everything on it. Someone, you know, probably ordered one or something near me. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting phrase. Cause we're, I understand what they mean when they say that. But the first place that my brain goes is like, what if you did, what if you put everything onto a pizza? And so I was like, oh, that'd be an interesting kid's book, but I couldn't think of how to resolve it. Like I, you know, something getting bigger and bigger and bigger and sort of, sort of like ad infinitum or ad absurdum, like it, there's no resolution to that. And so right. I was like, well, I don't know. And then I, I, I thought of like, well, maybe it gets so big and then it like collapses, it flips over and like the crust lands on the ground. And then the, the kid is sad, but the dad's like, well, no, now really like the earth is on the pizza and everything, you know? And I was like, ah, it's, it's kind of like a cop out. And it's also really going to be hard to visually explain to a kid in a book and it won't be satisfying. So I just sort of left it alone. And then two years after that, Andy and I, like when I first had that, I didn't even know Andy. Andy and I met in the interim and we just became like really good friends, like pretty much overnight. Like we, we started talking on the phone all the time. Like, and I would, at the time I was traveling quite a bit for my job. And so there'd be times when I would be driving for like four hours and I would call Andy and just to like ask him a question and we would talk for four hours and our wives like started giving us a hard time about it. And so anyways, we hit it off really well. And one day I mentioned the idea to him and it was in the context of I, he wasn't doing very many kids books. And I was like, dude, you need to do kids books. Your style is so perfect for it. You have this yeah. vibrant color, like, and you know, like this really kid-friendly style. And, and then I just, I don't know, offhandedly was like, I actually have this idea I've been playing around with. What do you think about this? 
And he was like, oh, I love the idea. Like, and he had had an idea for a, a book about an everything bagel, but he couldn't figure out how to resolve the end of it. <laughs> so I, on that call, just jokingly said like, well, the other option is like that, you know, the pizza gets so big, it collapses on itself and forms a black hole and sucks everyone in. But that's a pretty depressing end for a kid's book when every character dies. <laughs> and he kind of laughed and, and, and then, you know, we moved on in the conversation and a few weeks later, I like just out of nowhere had like, I was came to me, I was like, oh, a pizza big bang. Like if there's a pizza black hole, then, you know, a, there could be a pizza big bang on the other side of that. And it reforms the universe. And now the universe is made out of pizza. Now everything is pizza, which kind of brings it full circle of pizza with everything on it. And, and so I just called Andy and I was like, I figured it out. And he was like, you didn't even know what I was talking about. <laughs> and I was like, three words, pizza, big bang. And then I hung up the phone. And so then I went and I mean that, I think I wrote the whole story like in, you know, half an hour or something, if that, like sat down, banged out the whole story. And that with maybe a few minor changes is pretty much the story that is in the book now. Um, and that would have been four years ago. So sent that to him four years ago. And then we started working on it. And, um, and it took probably two years, about a year and a half, two years, something like that for us to put a whole pitch deck together. And that, you know, when, whenever people say like, oh, it took JK Rowling seven years to write the first Harry Potter or something, it's because she wasn't getting paid for it. And she had a kid and like, right. and so it wasn't, she wasn't working on that full time, that whole time. I wasn't working on this story, like around the clock for two years. It's a 48 page children's book. If that was if it took me that long, like there's problems with my work ethic. So it was really just that like he had other stuff. I had other stuff. We would kind of come back in between, but two, it took two years, basically a year and a half, something like that for us to put together. Like, okay, we've got like, we've got thumbnails. We've got a, a, a whole pitch deck built out with a marketing plan and all this stuff that like you aren't even really supposed to put into a, a pitch. And then, and then we started reaching out. He had an agent already and um, I did not. And I had, was kind of like worried about it because I had heard so many horror stories of like how hard it is to get an agent. But the funny thing was like I, in the end, through just a random like internet acquaintance, um, I showed the book to this person who wasn't an agent, but was a kid's book like enthusiast. And I was like, hey, what do you think about this? Like, you know, you read a lot of kids books. What's your, what's your read on this? And she was like, I love it. Can I show this to my friend? And I was like, sure. And her friend happened to be an agent, like a very respected literary agent who then reached out to me and was like, I want to represent this book. And we talked on the phone. The first time we talked, we talked for like an hour and really hardly even talked about my book at all. Um, and just talked about like what we like about kids books and what we like about kids and, you know, the world of children's literature and stuff. And I was like, I love this woman. Like she's so great. And so ended up signing with her and then she and Andy's agents worked together and went out and sold this book and at, and it ended up like it sold in the first round. They pitched it to like, I don't know, a 13 publishers or something like that. And um, two of them like right away made offers and then that went to auction and like all the stuff that I had thought or been told at least like, oh, this is going to be hard. This is going to be hard. This is going to be hard. Like none of it ended up being hard. And I know that that's, I was very lucky. That's not everyone's experience, but um, I, I only, I want to tell that story because I feel like the only story that you hear is the other side of that. It's yeah. people that like they struggle and struggle and struggle and nothing ever happens for them. And, and that hearing that story so much caused me to like give up on that dream for a long time. And, or not even try, right? Yeah, not even yeah. try. And, and so that's really like, you might, you might have that. That might be your reality um, that you, it takes, I mean, there are really good books that it takes them years to find a publisher that that's entirely true for some people but you won't know that if you don't try. And like, that's my biggest regret. It's not that I quit. Um, it's that I quit without trying. 
And so, um, so yeah, so that was two years ago, we sold the book. And uh, that's the funny thing about publishing that like people who haven't published books don't realize I didn't realize this until I got into it. Like, you know, we sold the book and they're like, all right, we love it. And I was like, all right, when is this coming out? Like a, a month from now, you know? And they're like two years from now. <laughs> so they're like, we love it. We're so excited. We can't wait to put this out two years from now. Right. So, um, so yeah, so then, then it just came out, you know, like two weeks ago. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been, yeah, it's been the six years from the time that I had the idea, four years from the time that I kind of figured out the ending. Um, two years since I've sold the book and, and now it's just now kind of getting out into the world and finding its people. Yeah. We love it in our family and, uh, we bought an extra copy to send. So I would recommend all my listeners. I'll put the link in the bio. I mean, in the show notes, but, um, it's, it's really fun. And for me specifically, it's really fun to see two people that I really admire come together to make something so magical. And like the book itself is great, but for me, it, it, it represents, like ideas and effort and, um, just sticking with something. Like I, I feel like I have this ability to see people for how hard they're working and how much energy and effort they're putting into things. And like, I instinctively know without you even telling me all that stuff that getting a book published is so much work. And so it's so cool to see. And then I didn't know you were writing a book about, um, your experience with the Viking ship. That's so awesome. I'm so excited to read that too. Yeah. That comes out next year from HarperCollins, uh, in February. So the thing about publishing that's really interesting is it's like, I, now I have two agents, which which I have one agent for kids books and then one agent for, um, nonfiction stuff. Cause typically a book agent like specializes in one thing and they're friends and they one introduced me to the other one. But um, I tell them both all the time. I'm like, I have two book agents. I have two book deals in two different, like I have a kid's book deal and an adult publishing deal. Both of my editors are very cool and will answer any question that I have. And they're all like, their their marketing teams are really great. Like I have like the perfect situation and I still feel like I know almost nothing about publishing and almost none of it makes any sense to me. And so like, it's just like, they told me at the beginning, I turned in my, the, the first draft of the book in December of last year uh, of 2020. And, uh, and they were like, this looks so great. We're so excited about this. This will come out in winter of 2022. And I was like, that's two years after I turned it in. Like I sold the book, uh, you know, six or eight months before that. And so, and I was like, so bummed out about it. And then they, um, they reached out and wanted to do a call with their publicity team or something. And my agent was like, Hey, can you do this day at this time? And I was like, why are we even doing this call? The book doesn't come out until like the end of next year. And she was like, no, it comes out at the beginning of next year. And I was like, well, no, winter. And she was like, yeah, winter is like January, February. And I was like, what? So <laughs> and I was like, every other business in the world uses like Q1, Q2, Q3. And publishing decides winter is like a good term, even though that spans over two years. Like you, you should just figure that out. So I was very excited when I learned that winter does not mean the end of the year. It means the beginning of the year. Yeah, that's interesting. I find that... Um like you referred to it before, but I find that I cool on my ideas sometimes before they like, like I will dive in and make the thing. And I've heard Andy talk about it too, that Sophie, his wife helps him. Like she calls it doing it justice, which is like the part of promoting the work. Um, I love the making and the inspired like fieriness and I'm also aware that you can't stay in that place forever. Like 
things cool. Yeah. Well, and that's why, like when, when they were saying, Hey, we want to do this publicity call. I was kind of like, yeah, let's do it closer to that time. Because like, this is going to be a waste of all of our time to do Mm -hmm. anything right now. But then when they were like, no, 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 it's actually coming out early next year. And with nonfiction stuff, like, like you, the promotional process starts a lot earlier. So like, I'll start doing stuff in the fall of this year to promote a book that doesn't come out until, you know, February. So once they explained that to me, I was like, yeah, but I, that was kind of my thought too, is like, I'm not going to rev this engine of like excitement up and then wind it back down again and then rev it back up again. I was like, let's just wait until the moment. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. Andy and I've talked a lot about that. And then like for the pizza book, like this was the first project that both of us really felt like we did justice to, like we really went all out and we're, I mean, continuing to promote this book, but went all out to promote this to anybody that would listen to us because uh, we believed in it so much and worked so hard on it for so long. We're like, we're not going to do the thing that most artists do, which is do a project, kind of put it out into the world. And then they're like, well, it'll do whatever it does. And I'm going to go back into my cave and make another thing like, yeah. to get it out. You know, cause if you believe in something, if you really think it's a good thing that you've made, like, then you should want to get it out to as many people as you can. And, and, you know, sometimes that's going to mean doing the boring marketing work and, 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 you know, posting a million videos about it and knowing that you're probably turning some people off to your content and just going like, okay, well, that's, it is what it is. So I enjoyed your Bernie Sanders little reference when you're like, yep, I'm talking about it again. It's fine. I am once again asking you to pre-order my book. Yeah. How did pre-orders go? They went great. Um, Again, like I, the whole industry is so like opaque that I would ask my publisher, like, how are things going? And they would go, oh, it's going great. And I was like, are you saying that to be nice to me? Are you saying that to like, to like, what does that mean? You know? And Finally, like I got pinned them down. I was like, what is a traditional book? Like in like unknown author, no following in the kids book world. Like I have a big following on social media, but like nobody, none of those people were like, oh, this is the kids book guy. Like, and, and so, and you know, it's been proven over and over again. Like people follow you for a thing. And it's like, if I went and I was like, Hey, now I'm going to try to sell you like these fitness leggings or something. He would be like, I don't care. Like, you know, that's not, you're clearly not using them yourself. So like, this is not gonna, it doesn't matter. So anyways, so I finally asked, asked my editor just like point blank, like how many copies does a book like this normally sell? And she was like, Oh, you, you guys are selling like 10 X, like what the normal book in that. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like it is good, but, but it's just so hard to get answers on that stuff. We didn't know that until like the very end of the first week. That we're like, I, you know, they would give us, they'd be like, yeah, you guys are kind of hitting these, these marks. And we're like, are those good marks? Like, what, right. you know, what is that? Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it went really, really well. They were very pleased with uh, all of the pre-order promotional stuff that we did. And, um, and it seems like it got it into the right people's hands. Like we've, we've been really lucky that like I noticed yesterday, uh, or actually a friend of mine pointed it out to me. He was like, you have more reviews on your book than the book that was the number one New York times bestseller two weeks ago. And, uh, um, and the crazy thing is like, we didn't ask, like it was on our list at some point, like of all the stuff we could do, we're like, Oh, we should, we should ask everyone to like leave a review after it. But we never did that. We just forgot to do it. And we've, now we have like 60 something five-star reviews on our book. And, um, it's been out for like a week and a half. So, so yeah, it's been, it got into the right people's hands. And, and that was cool. Like Andy and I have talked about like, there's nothing like we could have sold it to 
people like you who are like a fan of me and Andy, like you probably would have bought the book either way. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's spread beyond that. And it's, and we could have made you buy the book. We couldn't have made you, made you like the book. Like, and I've done that before for friends. I bought stuff for my friends to support them and gotten it. And been like, I'm never going to look at this again. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm glad you made it. I'm glad whatever, but like, this isn't, it's just not doing it for me. But I mean, we're still constantly getting like tagged in videos and sent pictures and stuff of kids who are like, like I have, <laughs> sounds creepy, but I have pictures on my phone of strangers, children sleeping with my book. Like they sent this, they're like, my kid won't like stop sleeping with your book. And I'm like, that's cool. Like, that's really, really cool. So, so yeah, I mean, that kind of, uh, to watch it, like get out there and, and really find its people has been, has been just a, a real joy. I saw, it might've been Andy's feed this morning. I saw that like a school classroom used it and made their own pizzas and talked about like what they put on their pizza. I'm just enjoying like yeah. the entire process, watching you guys launch it. Um, Cause I'm like, I really like the inside baseball kind of business stuff too. So I'm watching it as like a fan, as a mother, and then also as like an entrepreneur. So your idea of a pizza party was just like, oh, it was chef's kiss. (laughs) I loved it. Like I I loved it. So just the concept was so aligned and so perfect. You're, oh, we have to talk about the guitar you made and (laughs) the, the uh, embroidery shirt. Like that is when I saw you doing that embroidery project, like the night before the pizza party or whatever it was, I was just like, he's my person. Like <laughs> he knows what it's like to just be like wrapped in inspiration and have to follow through no matter how miserable the idea ends up being to complete. Yeah. Yeah. So I made for people who don't know, I, I made basically because of what I said a minute ago, like I have, I have this following on, on TikTok and, and Instagram and stuff. And most of those people followed me for other things. Some of just because I do weird things on the internet. And so for them to, you know, buy a kid's book when a lot of them don't have kids or aren't kids themselves anymore. Like I was like, Oh, I have to figure out a way to sell them this thing. And so I basically said like, Hey, I'm going to do like a one hour storytelling show, comedy hour, like inspiration, kind of just like a one man show. It's free to attend, but you have to pre-order the book to get in. And, and I, you know, I called it a pizza party with everything on it. And it was really like, it was the story of this, you know, depending on where you want to start 12 year, six year, four year journey of getting this book made and all of kind of the ups and downs in between. And, um, I, I was like, had all the, you know, sort of content side of it. And then I was like, Oh, how could I like jazz this up a little bit? And when I, when I first sold the book, I had this idea that um, I wanted, it's funny, they're called nudie suits, like N-U-D-I-E. And that's like a person's name, but it sounds inappropriate. But like uh, they're those heavily embroidered Western suits that are like, you know, Conway Twitty would wear and stuff. And they're kind of coming back like Post Malone wears them now and Lil Nas X and stuff. But I mean, several years ago, before it was like getting super popular, I was like, oh man, I want one of those. And I want, I would love if I sold this book, it'd be cool to have like a pizza themed suit that had, you know, pizza and chaos from the universe, like all kind of like the symbolism of that embroidered into the suit. And then I looked up how much they are and it's like $6,000 to like get one of those suits made. And I was like, okay, well maybe that'll be for the next book. And, uh, and then, and it was only maybe a few weeks ago that I was like, I bet I could learn to embroider. Like I know how to sew. I know how to like do a lot of, a lot of stuff with, you know, needle and thread. And I was like, how hard could it be? It's just drawing with thread. 
And I, I knew it would be tedious. I knew there'd be like a learning curve, but I reached out to a friend of mine who has done a lot of embroidery. And I was like, okay, Katie, you know me, you know my skill set, you know embroidery. Is this feasible for me? And she was like, oh, absolutely. Like you could totally do it. She's like, it's going to take you a while, but you could do it. So she like lent me, I, I have a basket over here I need to take back to her. It's like all of her books and, and you know, patterns and stuff like that. And, and then I just sat down and I was like, so I embroidered like the collars of the shirt are, like they come to a point because it's a, you know, a collared Western shirt. And those are um, pizzas, like pizza slices. And then I, I did like a little border around the shoulder and I want to keep doing more. Like I, I want to, cause I'd eventually like to, sorry, my thing is dinging a bunch. Uh, <laughs> someone's trying to send me messages. Uh, I eventually want to be able to like wear, like the idea was that I would wear this to schools and, you know, in libraries and when I'm doing readings and stuff like that, I just thought it would be fun for kids to see this kind of crazy pizza man. And then, and then even later than that, I had the idea, I have a, a it's called a Martin backpacker guitar and it's, it's a guitar for travel. So it's very thin and small. Um, and it's sort of shaped like a triangle. Um, it's like rounded off at the end, but I was like, oh, I could make a little pizza guitar, like by painting this, you know, and then I was like, oh, I don't really want to paint this, you know, guitar and ruin it. So I used like vinyl to, to make this like, cosmic pizza thing. It was um, brilliant. And so, which is funny because I, I only, I, I briefly played it for a minute at the beginning, just kind of like while people were coming in, but it wasn't even a part of the show at all. I just made it because I wanted to make it. I, yeah, that it was so good. I loved all of that. And as you're talking this thing that I've been um, thinking about lately when it comes to ideas is I'll have an idea and it will like drop in and I'll, I'll do with it what it needs. So whether it's just like create it or listen to it, you know, and file it away or whatever. And then I'm starting to notice that um, I'll pull it for like another idea will come and I'll be able to like pull an idea that I had before. And like now it's grown into this bigger version and then pull it forward again and grow into this bigger version. And I'm loving this like journey of an idea. I can look back on some things that I've done and I like bits and pieces have all been like dropped down just like in yeah. sequence. <sighs> I like uh, hearing you talk about ideas. I could just, that's why I created well, this that's, podcast. That's part of why I write every idea down because I think like what I've learned over time sort of by accident is that sometimes you only get half an idea and then like three years later you get the other half yeah. and you know it like there's no way to know and so that's why that's why i keep all these notebooks near me is because sometimes when i'm feeling uninspired or just have some time to kill i'll just go flip back through old notebooks and that will will sort of resurrect things for me and i'll be like oh yeah i forgot this idea is actually like it's perfect and um you know there's this i'm, I'm also in addition to all of this stuff, like my, my wife, my birthday was the other day. And she, one of the things that she posted on her happy birthday, Instagram post was she's like, Kyle knows more about trees than any reasonable person should know. <laughs> and I've, I, I somehow have gotten into like trees and permaculture and, and that kind of stuff over the last cool. several years. And one of the things in that world that you learn, is like that different seeds need different things before they will grow. And so some, you know, there are, there are seeds that like that, have to be in a forest fire before they will be able to grow. And there are seeds that like that they have to be underground for, you know, a hundred mm. years. There's like, there's just crazy stuff that has to happen. There are seeds that like we have found in tombs that were like a thousand years old and then we got them to sprout. And so um, there are just certain ideas, like some ideas right away. You're like, Oh, I have to do this right now. Cause it's very of the moment or whatever. And then there's other ideas where it's like, 
yeah, this could, I don't know, this isn't ready yet, but five years from now, I'm going to have the other half of this. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm with you. I could talk about this stuff all day. I, I love, um, I love the way that ideas can intersect with each other. And, and like you said, kind of pull it forward or pull it to the next level. Yeah. Like right now, my, we live in Maine and we have a bunch of acres up here and my husband, uh, got really inspired recently to build a tent platform out there. And so we've actually just like, it's a 12 by 12 tent platform now. And there's like a fire pit and places for hammocks and it's super cool. Um, but because wood prices are so high right now, the, you know, the decking was kind of like, he was bummed out because he was just like, it's this project is costing so much money. We're actually taking the money, the wood that we used, that we built our, an ice skating rink this past winter and turning it into, um, this platform. Yeah. And so anyways, he's like, I don't know what to do. Maybe I'll just put some plywood on top for now so we can use it. And he was all bummed. And I was like, wait a second. I was like, you're going to put the plywood on. I was like, can I paint a mural on the plywood? And he yeah. was like, yes. And then all of a sudden it was like problem solved. We were both super excited about it. And then immediately I know the mural I'm going to write. I mean, draw because of a 30 day illustration challenge. I put myself into in January and one of those pieces immediately like needs to be on here now. And yeah. it's just so cool. It's like in January, I had no idea what those pieces were going to be doing. And now yeah. it's like, this one gets to be bigger and better now. Yeah. And it's I'm just, you know, I'm just now at the point, like 11 years into speaking and, you know, now I've got uh, two different books coming out and stuff. And like, and it was funny because my wife and I were just talking the other day, like, this is the first time I feel like, oh, it's all, like, I trust that the future is going to be okay. Like every time in the past, I've always kind of had this like thing in the back of my mind. that's like, this is the last good idea that you're going to get. So mm. just, and now I'm finally like, oh, okay. Like I, I literally like went to therapy about it and everything. And finally, like enough people were like, that seems like a dumb belief to have. When There's no evidence of that, right? Yeah, you look at yeah. your drawer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I kind of like, now I'm just finally at the point where if I don't have an idea on a particular day or if I'm like, you know, like, oh, I've, I've got some things planned out for later this year, but I don't have like this one big thing. I'm like, oh, it's fine. Something will come, something will come up. And, uh, and, and giving myself, and also recognizing that like sometimes what I really need is to like, take a break for a while mm -hmm. and go, you know, go, go plant some trees or go on a hike or go, you know, take a couple of days off or, or whatever. And, and give, give the idea engine, like a little bit of time to cool off and, and do maintenance. And then, Ugh. and then it'll, it'll fire right back up. Gosh, that yeah, a hundred percent. I have been in that same place of like, um, surrendering to holding on to my ideas too hard because, you know, with that worry that I'm not going to get another one, or this one's like so good, I've got to like make it the best. And it's like, once I just kind of, it's like lack mindset versus abundance mindset. And yep. like when I shifted into abundance mindset and really just felt into the idea of like the ideas will always come as long as I treat my creative self, if I nurture my creative self and like treat it like, you know, compost and really take yeah. care of and treat this soil and make it like super fertile, then the ideas have a place to land and grow. But if I'm not like tending to my creative self, um, that's the, you just brought up hiking and stuff. Like those are the kinds of things you do to tend to your creative self. Yeah. Playing, right. Like just playing. 
Yeah. Wrestling with my kids or even like, I mean, even mowing the lawn or like fixing stuff around the house. I mean, just like anything to engage different parts of your brain that are not, that are not just like the, you know, creative making sides of your brain. And I think also like engaging with people who are like, you know, I, I sometimes think if all you ever hang out with are artists, like you probably don't have enough to really like, you don't have enough life experience there to make anything that's interesting. Like if, if your work is only interesting to artists, it, then I don't know, you're like such a small percentage of humanity. And like, I have friends who don't go to art museums at all and they're business people. And like, I'm interesting to them because of that, because I can show them some weird product that, and they're interesting to me because they go and like do actual real things in the world every right, day. Right. And so, and I think like, in I've got, consulting clients who have nothing to do with creativity, but they hire me because they're like, Kyle sees things from weird angles and it'll be valuable in our business in some way. So I think, I, yeah, doing, having that diversity of like experience and expression and, and, and even just diversity of like daily tasks, um, can, can be really helpful. Um, but, but at the same time, like, I think that, you know, it's interesting to talk about ideas like this, because really what we're doing, if you've ever heard of like the, the, the idea of like the blind men feeling an elephant and they're trying to describe what it is. And like one guy is feeling the trunk and he's like, I think it's a snake. And, you know, one guy's feeling the leg and he's like, I think it's a tree. And like, that's what we're doing. Like, we don't know. None yeah. of this is like, you can't scientifically test any of this. We're just going like, Hey, in my experience, I tend to do better if I take some time and walk around <laughs> like, yeah. or whatever. Like I literally have on my to-do list today, take a walk because there's a park that's a mile from here and I, it's great. And it's like, it's springtime. It's blooming. Like, that's not a productive thing. Like, I'm not going to be able to go like, okay, well that led to revenue, but, but I, I just am trusting like, oh, it's good for me. Like it's good for my head when I take a walk. And, and if my head is good, then, you know, eventually I'll come up with an idea that's good. So I could, I could be wrong about that, but no, I, I think it's super important to build in space into your schedule. Um, and also I've also found that trusting that the ideas that come to me are meant for me because I feel like before I taught myself graphic design and hand lettering and all this stuff that I, now I have like skills to make the things and the confidence now to make the things. But before when it it was just like ideas were flying past my head and it's like, I have good taste, but I didn't really have like the ability to create what I wanted yet. And I I feel like I used to like bat them away. Like, "Ah, I can't, I can't do anything. And now I feel just like so firm in the fact that those ideas are meant for me. They might not be meant for right now, but they're meant for me because I am the only one that can translate this, right? Like they didn't come to like seven people and then we're all going to figure it out. Like this was mine. So I have to take care of it. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, sort of to bring this full circle to what you talked about at the beginning of like that with Andy and and his style, having imperfections in it intentionally and having like that, like sometimes you going like, oh, I can't make this the way that it's in my head. And like, well, when you make it the way that you can make it, your fingerprints are going to be on that and it will be expressed through a style that only you can do. And so, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I like I, when I first discovered cardboard as like a medium, like I never thought of that. Like I didn't grow up seeing people make stuff out of cardboard. I watched a documentary in my twenties where a guy makes something out of cardboard, this artist named Wayne White. And I was like, Oh, I've never thought of that as like an art medium. I thought of that as garbage. And so that unlocked all these different things. So like I, you know, I have this project that I, I 
took a tandem bicycle and cut the back seat off of it and put a horse's butt on the back so that it looks like you're a centaur when you're riding the bike. I had that idea before, but I was like, man, I'm going to, it's going to have to be wood and metal. And there's like all, it's going to be heavy and expensive. And then like a couple years later, I started making things out of cardboard. And I was like, oh, I could make this in an afternoon or like a weekend with cardboard. And so there's certain things like where, you know, your own expression or, uh, or your creative practice makes it so that that idea coming through you is going to look totally different than it would look coming through me. And that's great. And that's, and, that's and then the maybe, magic. That is yeah, the magic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I think that it's funny because the other thing that Andy pointed out to me when I mentioned that, um, uh, that I can't draw realistic people, uh, was that I don't even like drawings of like realistic drawings of people. Like I'm always impressed when someone's like, I spent 400 hours on this drawing and it's charcoal and it looks just like a photograph. Like I, there's, it's very popular on TikTok right now. And I'm like, well, yeah, it looks exactly like the photograph that you just showed me. Like, seems like a lot of time <laughs> wasted went into that, but yeah. that's fine. Like, it's just that art is not for me. And he was like, well, why, why would you hold yourself to this standard of like, I can't do this thing that even if you could do this thing, you wouldn't like that because right. you like that now. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a really good point. I like weird oddball stuff and I can definitely do that. So um, yeah, it, it's interesting the excuses that we make to kind of keep ourselves from, from making work. Yes, there it is. That We're going to end on that because uh, this has been an awesome conversation and it's honestly, it, it was really great for me to have a conversation with somebody that understands ideas in the way that I do and yeah. just that magic and that fire. Um I don't know when I, I don't remember when I started following you, but it was so validating to see somebody so willing to just go all in. I just appreciate your all inness. It's, it's incredible. Thank and, you so much. I and uh, I, I've loved following all your work and I'm excited about your book coming out. Um, and so thank you for being on this. This has been a joy. Oh, of course. This is a, a great way to spend a Thursday morning. So I appreciate <laughs> it. So much. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Kyle. You have a great day. Okay, okay, okay. Did it land for you like it did for me? Was it as good for you as it was for me? When I got off that call with him that day, I was exploding with joy. It's the only way I could say it. I mean, it was it was just so validating to hear him talk about ideas and the way he harnesses them and the way he captures them and and then pulls them forward and brings them to life years in the future. It's it's incredible. And then the journey of how long it took for that children's book to get out into the world. Like, ha- parents, how many children's books do you have in your kid's room right now? Could you imagine having an idea six years ago and it taking six years for it to get out into the world? With his tenacity and uh, just the whole journey of him and Andy collaborating and really going for it. I just find it so inspiring. I even built my first grader's birthday all around it because of COVID, uh, celebrating birthdays at school. It's it's tricky. So I ended up making um, Ziploc bags with paper pizza pieces. So the kids had a pizza party and got to create their own pizzas. And I zoomed in and read the book to them. It was so special. The kids loved it. And I just remember my my guy, Parker, 
like weeks later, he, we were reading the book again and he was like, I loved my birthday at school. And I was like, oh yeah, why? He goes, it made me feel so special. And I was just like, bingo, that's exactly what I was trying to do. And it was so cool that Andy and Kyle's book could be that vehicle for it. It felt so imaginative to take their inspiration that they worked so hard on and turn it into something super special for my kiddo. So that was really magical for me. Also, did you catch the part about the seeds? I mean, if that's not an amazing metaphor for ideas, you know, some seeds need certain things to grow and other seeds need other things and some seeds need to go through fire. I mean, you guys, so good, right? So good. So anyways, I'm just going to leave it there. I hope you enjoyed this. The conversation was a little long, but I thought it was all so worthy of keeping in. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you can feel the joy that it's brought me to talk to him and to keep walking on this journey. Between you and me, asking him was like a big deal to me. I was very nervous and he graciously said yes. And then did you catch it at the end where he said it was just such a really nice way to spend a Thursday morning? I was like, me too, me too. And I hope uh, we passed that forward to you. So I hope you have an incredible day. Thank you for being here. If this touched you, moved you, if you loved this in any capacity, can you do me a favor and leave a review? It really helps the algorithm and it helps get this work out into the world. This little baby podcast is is my is my love language right now. I'm a hand lettering artist and my shop is coming. I know in the beginning of this this season, I said it was up and running, but I've actually taken my hands off the wheels and handed it over to a friend of mine, and she is putting it together. And I'm excited to actually have it be available, but I'm just letting it be easy. So, in the meantime, this podcast is definitely my biggest creative outlet, and I hope it's serving you. I hope it's nourishing you. I hope it's reminding you to turn towards your creative self and nourish and rest and play and just just acknowledge she's there. She's there, and the more you pay attention to her and the more you, f- the more you find what serves her, what serves you, what's more aligning and The more you say yes to ideas and the more you allow yourself to do these things and rest and play, the more you're just taking care of yourself. Like, that's it, you guys. I might be packaging it up through creativity, but it's all just a way to to get us to pay attention to ourselves and do what we need and fill our cups up, right? It's like hashtag self-care, but... This is it. This is creative self-care is the deep nourishment. And we all deserve it. We're all capable of it. It has nothing to do with being artistic and has everything to do with tapping into that creative voice and see what inspires us. So anyways, I hope you have an awesome day. I'm so happy you're here. DM me. Let me know what your biggest takeaway was. Go follow Kyle. I'll put all his information in the show notes, a link to his book, where you can find him. I am not on TikTok, but he is, and he is really fun over there, so go check him out. 
and give him a follow and DM us, tag us, you know, all the things, all the social things. Please engage with us. Let us know what feels good, what sounded good, what landed. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you being here, taking your time. And I love you. You are worthy. You're enough. And you're the best. Have a great day. Hey guys, it's Felix again. Can you do me a favor? Can you leave a review for my mom's podcast? Please, please, pretty please, with a cherry on top. I would really appreciate it. Okay, have a great day. Bye.